Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. So to my left, we have Hannah Cho, who's a consultant in special care dentistry. And to my right, we're joined by Zara Hussein, who is a consultant in restorative dentistry, uh, both at the Eastman Dental Hospital. Uh, ask a lot of questions in every role that you do, even in, as an undergraduate dentist. I, I always look back and think, oh, I wish I'd asked why I was told to do that or to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell people that now, actually, because I think as you get more experienced and older, you feel um, sometimes a little bit like you can't ask why because you should know already and obviously not everybody knows everything not to be afraid on taking on different opportunities because i'm basically a person who likes to plan ahead and you know strive into achieving one thing but actually um even if it's an unexpected plan it might not be for example your first choice of jobs Mm. and but actually all those experiences do add up with your host Josh Hudson. Uh, This week, we're exploring the experiences of two clinicians who have gone through their training pathway and have come out of the other side as NHS consultants. Uh, I'm sure we've all had interactions with consultants at some point in our career, but within this episode, I hope we can drill down a little bit further into what that role really entails. So Zara, just to start off, can you tell us briefly a bit about yourself and how you've got to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. It's a long story. So um, I qualified um, as a dentist from GKT. uh, And during that, I did an intercalated BSc in psychology, which wasn't really done in those days. Mm. Um, That was really interesting. And then um, uh, after I finished, I did vocational training, which is the equivalent to dental foundation year one now. Mm. Uh, That was in a practice in Stockwell. Um, then I did a, I have to really think back now, it's been a long time. Uh, then I did um, a, a junior house officer job, which would be like foundation year two now, in at the Royal London Hospital in restorative dentistry. Then I did a Maxfax senior house officer post in Northwick Park Hospital. Then I did another restorative senior house officer post at the Eastman. And then I got my uh, registrar post at the Eastman and I've been here ever since. Okay. So yeah. Great. And uh, Hannah, what's what's your pathway? What's your history? Um, yeah, so I graduated from um, University of Bristol um, and after that um, done foundation training um, in Cambridge in general practice. And even throughout uh, my undergraduate training, I always knew I wanted to specialise. So it was quite a natural transition to dental core training posts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done three years of it in different specialties, different units. Um, so it included... Um, years in oral maxillofacial surgery, oral medicine, um, also did a sedation post. So it involved working in restorative um, pediatric dentistry and oral surgery clinics, but providing treatments on the sedation. Um, and then um, through these experiences, um, I wanted to become a special care dentist mm-hmm. and uh, applied for a post for an academic clinical um, fellow in special care dentistry. And that was also actually at the um, at Eastman here mm-hmm. at UCLH. Um, so after completing that, then um, I got my current position um, as a consultant. 
yeah. the same specialty. That's great. Uh, and Zara, so you mentioned f- there's a few restorative uh, jobs in there before you started your restorative training. So was restorative always the, the goal? Or? Uh, so when I was an undergraduate in the final year, we had the opportunity to um, do extra clinics of, of two disciplines. So I was really interested in orthodontics and restorative dentistry. Mm. So I did sort of, um, I chose them as my wanting to do extra and uh, I shadowed the consultants on the clinic and the restorative consultant sold it to me basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was his influence actually and seeing what he did and him being really passionate about what he does that was like, yeah, I, this is what I want to do. So yeah, definitely from undergraduate. Yeah. Okay. And Hannah, you did a few different roles there as well. Was it always special care or what led you to yeah. decide to follow that path? No, it wasn't actually. So <laughs> I wanted to be a restorative okay. <laughs> uh, a consultant initially. Um, so that's throughout my undergraduate training and sort of earlier years of my career. And it was actually doing the um, dental core training post mm-hmm. where I got exposed to um, different sort of specialties. And so I developed an interest in managing medically compromised patients. I really liked my sedation post and mm. I did like all aspects of dentistry. So um, I found that special care and dentistry just brought everything together and you can still sort of specialize. Um, and uh, I also wanted to have um, some academic um, component to my career. So it just fitted in all really well. Yeah, it was a good mix of everything yeah, came, yeah. came together. <laughs> Um, so we've talked about this in some of the other episodes about there being maybe a little bit of confusion in terms of specialising and how you become a specialist and the different pathways and things. So first of all, Hannah, with with special care, uh, how does the, the specialising work within special care? Are you a specialist first and then you do post-CCST training? Do you do extra training to be a consultant? Is it run through? How, how does it actually work? Yeah, so um, special, in special care dentistry, at the moment, actually, there is no post-CCSC um, training. So after you do, so it's generally three years um, of specialty training. So that's whether you do it as an academic clinical fellow or the NHS um, STR route. Mm-hmm. Um, and following on from that, um, then... Uh, it depends on the posts that are advertised for consultant jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so some posts um, do specify you need two years extra experience, which would sort of be equivalent to the post-CCSD program. Mm-hmm. So it sort of depends. Um, mm-hmm. But officially, there isn't a, yeah, a post. Okay. So when you finish your special care training, so you then have the option of what what options do you have? So one option is obviously becoming a consultant and going down that route. What what other options are there once you've finished your finished your training? Yeah, so after finishing training, um, options are because um, in special care, as you are probably aware, um, we're mainly based in community dental services mm-hmm. um, or in hospital um, settings. Um, and in community, you can work as a um, usually as a specialist um, within that setting. Or I know some colleagues who ha- who hold a senior dental officer positions in terms of their titles, okay. um, but doing similar sort of work. And you can be a consultant in primary care services as well. So in community dental services. So it's not only limited to, to hospitals. Oh, okay. And, and Zara, so we've had some uh, monospec um, colleagues on the podcast so far talking about their experiences. And then restoratives, a run-through program. So you yeah. do the five years. Um, so what's really the, the difference between doing uh, something like restorative and being a consultant at the end of it and 
um, doing maybe monospec training and just being a specialist in one of the different specialties. So if you do the restorative training, you're, um, you go on the a sort of specialty registrar training post, mm-hmm. it's funded. So that's a big difference. So you, you actually mm-hmm. get a salary as opposed to having to pay for the training yourself, which you would have to do if you went down the M-Clindent monospecialty route. Um, you get to do all three of the um, disciplines. So you train on um, perio, endo and prostho within the five years. It's a five-year program. With the monospecialty programs, they're three-year programs and you're only really focusing on one aspect of restorative dentistry. Um, With the registrar posts and the five-year posts, the funded ones, um, you also have managerial um, experience Mm -hmm. as well. So um, in addition to the clinical experience, which you'd get for the monospeciality ones, you've got a lot more managerial things. So you'll be sort of a, you know, audit lead for the registrars and and um, uh, be involved more in the clinical governance side of things and the hospital side of things. You get a look at what happens behind the scenes in hospital management, mm-hmm. um, which you don't really have exposure to as a monospeciality um, trainee. Okay. And so there's two different ways of going about it. And it seems like you cover both of the ways. So one's the kind of more academic ACF route, and then there's the non-academic route. So uh, Hannah, so with your ACF training, what, what's the differences between the two aspects in that respect? Yeah, so um, as um, an ACF, then you get some protective time to do your academic component. Um, so split um, between 75% clinical and 25% um academic essentially and um you basically experience doing um some academic work so that might be in relation to education but also research so you work towards um a project um and uh, if it is you know something you um, want to go through then you apply um for a phd um and what well, apply for funding and <laughs> to yeah. do a phd essentially um which is actually what i do want to do longer term Um, But there was another opportunity along the way um, to, so I'm currently an NHS consultant, but um, options are open, I guess, because it's still early stages of my career, looking at my career overall. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily restrict Restrict you Restrict you once you're in the post doesn't mean to say, I mean, I do love my job, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's also other options available. Okay, that sounds great. Um, And and then you've mentioned about the training and the additional elements the managerial elements, the leadership mm-hmm. elements. So now that you're both gone through that process, you've come out the other side and you're consultants. Mm. Uh, what is what is expected of a consultant above and beyond the clinical work from that managerial and leadership aspect? What what additional expectations <laughs> are there of you? Yeah, it's hard to list them all, isn't it? Because you yeah. just do them now without even really mm. thinking about them. But I guess um, there is, they were like that we have obviously in the hospital, you're working in the hospital. So you've got clinical mm. governance meetings, you get involved in organizing those. You'll, you'll be the consultant lead for the department, for example, for audit and mm. supervise the audits as well as, um, uh, you know, take part in them. So any additional roles that you have, Hannah? Yeah, so... Um, safeguarding, I think yeah, we're both sort of safeguarding, safeguarding leads. Yeah. Um, leads for adults within sort of the dental and ENT hospitals. That's one of the um, roles. Um, also, if, if there are specific um, uh, hospital or trust-wide uh, objectives, then mm. you, your department or the dental hospital might be 
uh, geared into sort of aligning our objectives with theirs and that might create sort of mini projects within mm -hmm. the departments that we work on yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of things which you probably wouldn't get involved in if you were working in practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, and then within your training, that management and leadership element, is, is that assessed at the end of your training? Does somebody assess how good you are at management and leadership? Yeah, is that part of the assessment is, process? Yeah. How does, how does that work? So in your exit exam, you, you have a component which is on management. And um, you have a, a viva basically. So they give you scenarios of different management scenarios and you have to um, basically say what you would do in that situation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and with with the training that we get, I think it's quite good when you're in the hospital because you kind of, um, you just have to put yourself in, in that position. What would you actually do in that situation? It's not like you would learn those mm. scenarios to, to reel them off in an exam, you've actually probably been through quite a few of them and know how to manage them or know mm -hmm. where to go to find out how to manage them. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, so for, for each of you, just to give a little bit more insight to anybody that's considering this kind of pathway, <laughs> what does your week look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What do, you, what do you get up to? Uh, so I work part-time now, okay. so my, my week, I'm here three days a week. Um, so I have a, for example, I have a new patient diagnostic clinic mm. once a week. If I was here full-time, I'd have two of those. So they're patients that are referred in from general dental practitioners, either for advice or treatment plans, or for us to consider taking the patients on for treatment if they need special, specialist treatment. Um, I have my own outpatient treatment clinics as well. So I'm treating multi, um, multidisciplinary restorative cases. So specialist cases that can't really be managed out in practice. Mm -hmm. There's also multidisciplinary clinics that happen. Um, they happen sort of less regularly, maybe once a month. So some consultants will be involved in that. I'm supervising um, um, monospecialty postgraduate students as well as um, specialist registrars. Mm -hmm. And I also sometimes do some teaching for GDPs, obviously not on a weekly basis, but that's ad hoc. And um, yeah, just to name a few. Yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> yeah. Of, lot of variety, yeah. definitely. Uh, and what about you, Hannah? What kind of things do you get up to on a weekly basis? Yeah, so um, so on an average week, um, like Zara was saying, I would have new patient clinics, treatment clinics, um, and I actually lead um, the head and neck um, component for special care dentistry. So I attend the um, head and neck um, MDT meetings mm -hmm. followed on by specific um, cancer dental clinics, essentially. And um, we also have a quite a large service for hemato-oncology patients. Um, so also um, have a specific clinic that happens um, regarding that. Um, and my non-clinical times, um, I'd spend either doing patient-related admin work, management um, sort of positions. Um, so I mentioned about the safeguarding sort of role earlier. So some of that time I may be dealing with that complaints. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually one day a week, um, I, um, I, I'm basically um, funded by Health Education England. So I actually lead a pilot um, in special care dentistry in upskilling the workforce in primary care dental okay. services and um, focusing on um, an area within east of England um, so one day a week I spend time doing that um, so yes yeah, so I think that's mm. my typical yeah, sort of week. Good variation yeah. as well. Yeah, very <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there's any potential within special care I know you mentioned about um, 
uh, consultants and community as well. Is there options for splitting your time between secondary care and primary care? Or do you kind of choose one or the other? Or what options are there from that aspect? Yeah, I think certainly. I think there's um, generally a move towards um, ensuring that there's more specialist sort of um, input consultant-led services in primary care services. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, at the moment, I'd probably generally say it's more split, although there are some sort of joint posts. Um, but for example, with my current role, um, part of the pilot, we've actually been going out and supporting primary care and um, community dental services um, in person as well. Um, so I think in years to come, there will certainly be more and more opportunities um, in like split posts, for example, um, between, and we have very good relationship with our local um, primary care services as well, um, in particular, um, the community team. Um, so, so yeah, so I think so. <laughs> and Zara, is the potential for your um, restorative consultants to split their time with, between primary care and hospital? Do, do many consultants work in private practice as well as hospital or do they generally choose one or the other or how does that work? Um, so I think that's what's quite nice about um, being in the position that we're in is there is some flexibility. So I used to be full time, but then I had a baby. So then I went part time after mm. that. And then I was only in the hospital, but um, it's been a few years now. So I am filling up the time that I have off in private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite nice because it's the best of both worlds, really. You're in practice, which is completely different. Um, and then you're in a hospital where you've got a large team around you and you've got colleagues that you can bounce off ideas from. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to have that flexibility. Yeah, good mix again. Yeah. Um, we were speaking to some registrars in a mm. previous episode um, and uh, they were talking about their workload and how busy they were and how, mm-hmm. how stressed they were. Uh, and I see that myself working in the hospital and, and, and working around them. Uh, how, how does it get once you finish your training? Is it still quite intense and a heavy workload? Does it get easier? How, how does it how does it feel now that you've finished? Um. <laughs> and, and how does that fit in terms of work-life balance, I guess, as well? Yeah, I think um, it can still be busy, but some of your responsibilities and things you may have, you may be doing probably changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you won't be revising for exams, for example. Yeah, really... You may not be doing <laughs> workplace-based assessment um, to assess what you're doing, but then you'll be supporting trainees with that sort of aspect, um, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, although you do have sort of management leadership opportunities as a trainee, um, but uh, it may be a bigger responsibility as a consultant and mm-hmm. um, all of these sort of roles do take um, time um, and I guess work-life balance is just um, it's always hard yeah. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to tell you the truth I guess um, but I think it's probably similar as a trainee or as a consultant I think it depends on the opportunities that you take what you do and how you try and balance mm-hmm. it um, but yeah, but it's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I would agree. Um, I think to make the most out of your registrar post, mm. you do want to be on top of things and trying mm. to take on as many cases as you can. And when you're doing that, it does get quite busy and quite stressful because mm. you're trying mm. to squeeze them into the, the treatment sessions that you mm. have. Um, and also, like you said, that that, that creates more paperwork almost because mm. you have to get, you know, your observations signed off and chase people for that and things. And now as the consultant, you're being chased. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, it's trying to find time to to make sure that you get you dedicate that time mm. to the registrars because you know how valuable it is. And mm. it's obviously it's good to have gone through the training because, you know, yeah. 
the position that they're in yeah. and what you need to do to make help them get the most of their training as well mm. okay yeah. so i guess it's just swapping one set of responsibilities for yeah, another one basically yeah. <laughs> okay um so if any of our listeners are thinking about maybe pursuing um especially training with the aim of becoming a consultant um would you have any advice uh, for them any tips tricks should they do it should they not do it <laughs> yeah, do it do it <laughs> um uh, do it if you like working in a in a big team. Mm. Uh, if you want to try, if you want to treat um, more specialist mm. uh, things that you wouldn't see out in practice. Um, if you, yeah, I think I think in the hospital, being a consultant kind of means that you're going to be in the hospital for a, a period of time. Might not be the whole week, um, but you are surrounded by a lot of people with a lot of expertise. You're you're um, managing patients that are tricky, um, so it's it's a nice challenge if you like that kind of thing, mm. and you're making a big difference to people's lives. Mm. So yeah, if you like helping people and doing complicated things, then mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to simplify it. And I suppose it's getting experience in those different areas to yeah, make yeah. sure that that is what you like, yeah. is, I suppose Absolutely. is the other thing. Do you have Definitely. any other advice, Hannah? Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar uh, from my perspective as well. But if you really like an area of dentistry and you sort of know that by trying out the different sort of um, jobs and different roles, um, and if you want to, you know, become, um, more proficient in that sort of area and the other thing you know the same thing I like about um working in my current position is working in large teams and multidisciplinary teams actually and mm -hmm. um, because um we're not sort of isolated and yeah. um, because dentistry can be quite isolating um as well um but yeah so working in a sort of large team making a difference um yeah <laughs> any tips for managing that workload speaking to those registrars in the previous episode any very organized be organized yeah have a diary whether it's electronic or paper Absolutely. have both have both color code <laughs> yeah just keep on top of things because yeah. it doesn't slow down yeah okay yeah and so you, you're obviously both consultants now but that doesn't mean that there's no more room for development so what what's next for you what are your next steps i know hannah you mentioned about maybe thinking about that academic route again or, or what different things do you see in your future going forward yeah so um I guess I, I really like clinical side of things, but also like education and research element. So um, I'd always want to have a bit of, <laughs> of both mm. um, in my career um, rather than just doing one, not the other, um, which still in my current post, I'm still actively involved in um, teaching and trying to um, keep up with my presentations and trying to write papers, etc. Mm. So there's always that element um, and should opportunities sort of arise and PhD might be um, an, an option. Mm. Um, and then I guess um, after that, it would either be exploring options as um, working through at the university but with an honorary contract or staying as an nhs consultant but having a more active um role in the university side okay um so yeah and you, yourself sarah are you gonna and for do me, a phd uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um i am more into the clinical side of things okay, so um yeah i think i just really like to there are specific things that i'd really like to get really good at now mm. um that maybe you don't do as often um so procedures or surgical procedures mm. and things like that 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 you don't come across that often but it'll be great to have you know to really bring the level of expertise up there so you know find some really good courses maybe mm. international ones as well mm. just to just make sure that i'm on top of 
on top of that kind of thing. But yeah, game. no aspirations for a PhD. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and touching on that, so do you find, obviously, uh, as a restorative consultant, you're trained in the three disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, do you find that consultants end up narrowing down into one of those or still doing everything? Or I think it depends where you're based, actually. Okay. So at the... At the Eastman, because we have postgraduate training programs, there's a sort of a almost separate departments for perio, prosto, and and endo. Mm-hmm. And um, you're kind of a, a you're a restorative consultant. So in terms of my own outpatient clinics and treatment clinics, I can do whatever I like. I can take patients off any of those waiting lists. But um, my new patient clinics, for example, are periodontal Mm -hmm. and because I'm based in the periodontal department and that does mean that I I tend to take patients on from my clinics as well and I also do quite like the periodontal side of things so I think sometimes you are a little bit more swayed Mm. to that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and if you're working in a district general hospital I think it would be a different situation you'd be more of a mix more probably even more involvement in the multidisciplinary clinics whereas at Eastman we have so many consultants Mm -hmm. that we are kind of we are a little bit spread and we have different roles and things we're not doing everything all at once so I think in a district general hospital that would be more the case okay and then we're asking all of our guests the 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 same final two questions Uh, i think the first one we've probably touched on a little bit throughout to be honest but can you describe three things that you enjoy about your role currently yeah so um as mentioned before actually so i really like working in um large sort of multidisciplinary teams Mm -hmm. so i don't only work with different Um, dental specialty which is really really great as well and but also with other medical colleagues or social sort of care and services so that element I really do enjoy Mm -hmm. Um, and having a really variety of work um, because I I do get I can get a bit bored sometimes so I do like (laughs) keeping myself busy or you know making sure that my week is varied Mm -hmm. and this job definitely (laughs) (laughs) and make sure there's um, variation to my um, sort of uh day-to-day sort of work Mm -hmm. um and there's always opportunities um to do more like um with various sort of projects you can get involved in and trying to make things better and improve um and uh i guess it that can happen with any sort of um, position you're in um but you do have more of a sort of leadership roles um as a consultant so i think mm-hmm. that's um yeah i think that's really great <laughs> Zara, have you got anything to add to that i think i would definitely agree yeah um the, the what you said hannah about mm. being different on a day-to-day basis that's mm. really a big thing mm. um every patient needs a different type of treatment you yeah. don't really do the same thing twice Mm -hmm. um and i think i like also the teaching i like the supervision and being able to not influence but have a um sort of almost leave leave a little mark with the registrars or a tip that i taught them Mm -hmm. that would make their life easier that maybe they'll remember me for in the future you know like the restorative consultant who inspired me to to do this yeah so that's yeah i quite like that okay That's great. Uh, And then our final question, um, so having gone through your journey, you've finished your training, you've ended up as consultants. uh, In hindsight, if you were looking back, is there a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Uh, Ask a lot of questions in every role that you do, even in, as an undergraduate dentist, I, I always look back and think, oh, I wish I'd asked why I was told to do that or mm-hmm. to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell people that now, actually, because I think 
as you get more experienced and older, you feel um, sometimes a little bit like you can't ask why because you should know already. And obviously not everybody knows everything. And so I think you just need to make the most of your opportunities as a more junior either trainee or undergraduate student, even postgraduate, just find out why. And that way you get to an insight and the the way that that, um, for example, that tutor or that, mm. you know, supervisor, why they want, why they, um, you know, look into doing a set, things in a certain way. And um, because you ask 10 dentists on a treatment plan, you probably get 12 de- treatment plans <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. Everybody has different experiences yeah. and ways of doing things. So it's really good to tap into that when you can. I think that's really useful advice for everyone really, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, Hannah, what would you say to your younger self if you were gonna give some advice? Yes, I think um, not to be afraid on taking on different opportunities because I'm basically a person who likes to plan ahead and you know strive into achieving yeah. one thing, but actually, um, even if it's an unexpected plan, it might not be, for example, your first choice of jobs. Um, mm. But actually, all those experiences do add up, and um, it actually led me to changing the specialty that I wanted to to take. Actually, mm. um, so yeah, so just um, take every opportunity. Um, yeah, I think that's great. That's I think that's really great advice to end on. Um, so I'd like to thank both of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to come and speak to us. Um, I think it's been really useful and hopefully our listeners will be inspired by, by what you've told us. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.